What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 plus one football show, as it's now called. But don't get your pennies in a twist. It is still the same ordeal as the last four seasons for you very, very loyal listeners. And as always, we have a nice little host of topics for you today. But with me, as always, a man who to me is a top six club if I were bottling it against the less favored teams. It's Billy. A little bit of foreshadowing going on there. But Just a little bit. It's great to be back, episode two. And we have a whole host of topics for you this week. We're going to take a look at Liverpool and the Newcastle comeback. Ten men away at St. James's Park. Surely that was impossible. The big teams almost slipping up in some cases. United's 2-0 deficit and Arsenal at home to Fulham. And then the ultimate clutch player that doesn't get the recognition he deserves. We're going to have a look at Rodri. Then moving over to the Bundesliga, Dortmund are having all sorts of problems up top since the departure of Erling Haaland last season. And then we're going to have a look at Heidenheim. They had a 2-0 lead at the weekend when they played Hoffenheim. And uh, they threw that away as well. So all that and more right after this. So let's start with it. The biggest game of the weekend. Liverpool against Newcastle, and it started really, really badly. I think that was almost the worst start you could probably have asked for. So Trent gets booked after like a few minutes. And then after eight minutes, he almost clotheslines Anthony Gordon. <laughs> and there's calls for a red card. His head's gone. He's, it's completely not in the game. He's going to get himself sent off. 25 minutes in, it's his loose touch that lets Anthony Gordon through on goal to put Newcastle 1-0 up. Three minutes later, the captain, Virgil van Dijk, he's got, he's got Isak running ahead of him with the ball. He kicks through him and gets a straight red card, which... I'm not going to even argue that it's a red card because it is a red card. <laughs> uh, and if you feel differently otherwise, Lewis, at this point, n- no, you're wrong. D- don't you worry. I-, I am in full agreement that that was a red card. Arguably, you could also be making the uh, point that maybe Jurgen Klopp should have taken off Trent after you know 25 minutes or 20 minutes. I mean, especially when... He's dangerously close to getting a red within eight minutes of play being started. That should tell you something. Obviously, as a manager taking off a guy after 10 minutes, I don't think, or I think, I can't remember any manager to do that. Um, If someone's done it, it's probably happened like a handful of times. But, you know, we've definitely seen some players get taken off pretty early in a game. So I'd say... Maybe Klopp should be asking questions of himself why he hadn't taken off Trent earlier. But obviously, that has got nothing to do with the fact that Van Dijk just basically kicks through Isak. Also, while we're on the topic of Isak, have you seen that that video where he's where he's talking to his teammates? It's like NUFC TV or whatever. And he just sounds like the most English guy ever. And everyone's like, well, is this guy Swedish? He sounds yeah. like he's from the ends. <laughs> this guy's this guy's from Sweden. He sounds like he grew up in Croydon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was the one. <laughs> Gee, he was. It's so it it's spot on as well. Like he can't. He must have just picked that up since he's moved to Newcastle. It has to be because this guy's played in. He played at Real Sociedad. Like there's no way he learned how to talk like that in Spain. Like not a chance. But then I think if you would hear him talk. Spanish, he probably sounds, you know, like he's lived in Spain most of his life. It's one of those ones. It's a weird one. He probably picks up yeah, the people that he learns yeah, from. Definitely, definitely. But let's go back to the game. And before we talk about Mr. Chaos, <laughs> it's almost a bit of a wake-up call for Newcastle, the fact that they were 1-0 up against a team that looked incredibly erratic. Yeah with a, an extra man 
you know, it's not like they had a forward sent off. You know, Van Dyke got yeah. sent off. As a, that's basically a centerpiece in in that defense in that back line. And to not finish that game off, I think would we'll, would have been a wake up because they've got the Champions League this year, which is going to be a minimum of six difficult games. Yeah, exactly. It also doesn't help that you have, you know, then the midweek weekend, midweek weekend. Now, you know, as you said, for the next, well, if we're being honest, up until December, really, if you count in any FA Cup draws, any League Cup draws as well. Yeah, and it's going to be a lot of a lot of games. They've also team. got City in the League Cup as well, which <laughs> that, is a, a midweek one at the end of September. That does but help. before we talk about Nunez, because we were quite vocal with criticism last year, so I think it's only fair that we're quite vocal with praise when it's Definitely. deserved. I think this is the the difference in squad player. Yeah. When Liverpool can bring on the likes of Darwin Nunez or Harvey Elliott, for that matter. I mean, even Harvey Elliott would probably... I mean, he he definitely would be in the first 13, 14 players to get into the squad at Newcastle. Would he even be a starting spot contender in Newcastle's team? Yes, I think he probably would. You know, they can also bring on Diogo Jota. Exactly. When you look at the, the players that... Live either Newcastle bring him on. Sorry, Matt Target. Okay, he's been around a long time, but I think this is a, yeah, but still <laughs> he he's the old Newcastle. Yeah, as yeah. is Sean Longstaff. Who I don't rate at all. To be I, perfectly it, honest, it's it's the it, when you say the old Newcastle, we're talking about the Newcastle that we're always playing against relegation in the last yeah, few not years. Uh, not Alan Shearer's old Newcastle. I'm talking Steve Bruce, Alan Pardew towards the end. Yeah, the Newcastle that basically went down to the championship as well. <laughs> Mike, Mike Ashley. Oh. Newcastle. Um, but, I mean, they have got, you know, Callum Wilson's a good player. Yeah. But you're taking off Isak, who's been fantastic, and putting on Callum Wilson, who, whilst he's good, is not of the same quality. When you look at no. Liverpool can replace Gakpo with Nunez, it's two players of arguably similar quality. Harvey arguably, Barnes yeah. is, is, is a good one. For Anthony Gordon, yeah, and you know Elliot Anderson, I think will be, but he's quite young at the moment. But I don't know, man. It's it's going to be difficult for it. I think if anyone's watched that Amazon Prime series on Newcastle, where Amanda Staveley's talking about, you know, the the goal always was Champions League football, but we didn't yeah. expect to reach it after our first full season. So is this a question of, is this where Newcastle's meteoric rise since the Saudi takeover will catch up to them or has caught up to them? I don't know. I Probably. Because I don't want to sit here and, and pick players out to say they're not good enough to play in the Champions League. But you'd think going forward, if Newcastle want to be an established top four team, the likes of Dan Byrne at left back, you know, okay, fine, he's a Geordie lad but that's not going to win you the Champions League, having someone who who knows it means a lot to the city of Newcastle. Fabian Scher, I think, probably is a good squad player, but they need another one alongside Sven Botman. Yeah. The midfield I've not really got an issue with because Sandro Tonali's quality. I love Bruno Guimaraes. Joe Linton's a bit of a rogue one because obviously he's a striker who's but, been reinvented as a central midfielder. Yeah, but uh, Almiron as well. I mean... Again, it's one of those ones. He 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 tries hard and he looks like he really loves it. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to sit here and go, he shouldn't be playing. Because he when he plays recently, he does very well. Yeah. But you think long-term, okay, maybe keep him as a squad player, but long-term, they're going to want a new right-winger. Yeah. Well, but, should we should we move over to Liverpool? Because obviously, as you said, completely erratic. And then they still managed to turn it around. And Nunez is now, I'd say, slowly proving his worth. You know, he had a difficult start in the in the Prem because 
Nunez and Haaland were brought in at the same time. Both very high price tags. Nunez even higher than Haaland's because Haaland's was only a um, an exit clause. And at the time, Liverpool and Man City were still, you know, the teams to basically beat in the Prem. And they were the teams that most likely were going to, you know, finish off the Prem between the two of them. Obviously, now it's a completely different story. But would you say the price tag was more than just, you know, media speculation that it probably weighed Nunez down a little bit at the beginning? That's the thing. I'd love to talk to an ex-player about this sort of stuff because you don't know whether they pay attention to it, whether they sit there and go, oh, they paid or they, you know, they could they could possibly pay 85 million pounds for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I need to start performing. Yeah. And you saw it with Nunez at times last season. It's one of those ones almost trying too hard. Yeah. To where you go too far the other side and you mess up that way because you're trying too hard. Yeah, yeah. It was always, I don't know, difficult, I think, because he only had one full season in the first team at Benfica. You know, and, and also missed the first few months of that season with knee surgery. I'm not suggesting that's a, you know, a reason. But to get the nickname Mr. Chaos. It doesn't help, no. It doesn't help. But to look so calm and so assured. Okay, yeah, one of the goals was a bit fortunate. It just bounced off of Botman, but he was there. He was in the right position and he found the opposite corner. You got to finish them. I you mean, have, you know, mistakes and mistakes on it or not. You have to finish those chances. You see some people getting them and not finish them. Exactly. And just to dip away a minute, you talk about finishing chances. That fantastic Allison save as well. Yeah, yeah. Which I think you'll be able to uh, to appreciate being a goalkeeper. Oh, 100 percent. Especially at the time. You know, it, it's made it. It is just a game that is on a knife's edge. So you could, you know, it's if that goes in, game looks completely different, obviously. Um, but you know, Allison is there, and there's a reason why he's, you know, arguably in the top three keepers of the Premier League. Well, on Sunday they have Aston Villa at Anfield. That's going to be a big game as well. It's going to be a big game because Villa are doing really well. Yeah. It's going to be a big game because they haven't got Virgil van Dijk. No. But I'd argue after the performance against Newcastle, the way he completely changed the way Liverpool attacked, that Nunez should be starting over Gakpo. Or you move Gakpo out to the left wing, which is where he played at PSV. Exactly. And I think Gakpo... He hasn't had a strong start to the season, has he? It's just not gone his way. Um, I don't know. I'd I'd look at maybe changing changing it up a little bit. There is also the very very you know real possibility that Liverpool are going to have to change their attack anyway because you know as reports would have it, Mo Salah really wants out and wants to go to Saudi Arabia. See, this is where I don't. I didn't want to talk about Saudi Arabia at, at all, to be honest, because it just, in my opinion, it's just a graveyard for the unambitious. I know, but that, this is this is why we. I feel like we have to talk about it because we have to talk about the fact that a player like Mo Salah, who is nowhere near the end of his career, I'm sorry, but it's not like he's 30, 34 and he's only gotten maybe one or two good years left. We're talking about a player who's who's closer to 30 than 35. Well, he shouldn't be going anywhere near a retirement league like that. Well, Liverpool have said categorically no. He's not but going. He wants, but the thing is, he wants out. That's a big issue. It's not like he doesn't want to go either. He's got two years left on his contract, so... In that situation, what do you do? Do you do what Mateus Nunez did at Wolves and what Kolo is doing at Frankfurt? Do you kick up a shit and say, well, I'm not training, I'm not going to play? 
I mean, it's that's a that's a big that's a big gamble to take if you if you take a look at the fact that you know deadline day is tomorrow. <laughs> well, also the Saudi Pro League's transfer window closes six days later. Yeah, so it's open for almost another week. Yeah, which how is that possible? How is that fair? Yeah, okay, because... but the Saudi we we know the Saudi Pro League they basically do whatever they feel you know works for them they don't give two shits about the the way the rest of the world of football works okay but say they want to they want to get themselves into the champions league it's not, I mean, the, that's, not that's, the asian not the asian champions league we're talking about the the european champions league they want to get that's themselves never into that. that's never going to happen i'm sorry if any of the saudi pro league top teams yeah play in the champions league they get bent over every single week because like, it's, a, it's a graveyard for the unambitious and a retirement home for the elderly it's and you know and the rest of the players i'm sorry they're maybe league two level so don't don't come at me with that oh it's such a fantastic new league to watch no it's not no no it's 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 ronaldo and sadio mane scoring against a bunch of semi-professional level goalkeepers and defenders you see some of the videos of some of the other non-star players yeah, it's insane. It's ridiculous. You'd see better quality on a Sunday morning <laughs> from some 25 stone bricklayer from fucking Gateshead. It's like <laughs> I don't I don't want to give any energy, any praise to the Saudi Pro League for hoovering up everyone's shit. And a small part of me is quite bitter because everyone else has got a hit of that sweet Saudi money and no one seems to want United's players, but you know, I wouldn't either. So, <laughs> well, should, should we, should we wrap this up and move over to, you know, a lovely topic of conversation United who were down two nil within the space of four minutes, arguably you need a new right back. I mean, arguably we need a new left back. That too. I'm not. I'm not having any of the Aaron Wan-Bissaka slander, and I'm not having any of the any of the bloody in the nose on Twitter going. Oh, Eric Ten Hag wants a new right back. He's not happy with Aaron Wan-Bissaka. Oh, is that why he started every single game this season? Is it okay? <laughs> okay. But well, but let's... The, left, the left back. The left back. Luke Shaw's injuries is unfortunate. Uh, because he's been so good since probably like 2020. Okay, you say he's so good, but you've also numerous times on this podcast said, oh, sometimes it's just not there. If we had someone who could finish, he would have a similar level of assist to Andy Robertson, is all I'm saying from left back. Whoa, there's, and, there's, a, there's a big, big shout. But I'm, I'm not going to give credit to Forrest for the second goal because it just cannoned off of Willy Bolly's head without him knowing about it. But I want to give credit to Awani. Uh, one because you love him so much. <laughs> one, because I love him. Uh, two, because I called that he was going to be good before he went to Forest. And because yeah, we knew he was good at Union. <laughs> exactly. And three, he's the first Forest player to score in seven consecutive matches. Jesus. So, wouldn't surprise me if he's not there much longer past this season. I'm not suggesting he's going to leave in the next two days. Deadline day transfer for our but <laughs> there is a there is a reason that Liverpool signed him back in 2015. Yeah, yeah. Is all I'm saying. And yeah, okay, United won. It wasn't pretty. But they three needed, points is... three points is three points, but they needed a penalty to to do it. After Casemiro missed from like six yards. Okay, little little question where I know you. I already had a dig at you over the weekend, but um, Anthony. Yeah, come on. I've had it from all sides. Come on. Ninety-five million for a player who is producing less than. Well, I mean, Jaden Sancho was the first one who came to mind, but the problem is oh. Jaden Sancho also cost that much. So we got <laughs> it, it's not really it's not really gone United's way on two big money transfers. Anthony is incredibly wasteful 
we spoke about this with some people at work. For all the ability he has, he has no footballing intelligence. There's no end product to it. There is an end product. I won't. I won't have that. There is an end product. <laughs> but at, let me finish. Let me finish. There is an end product. But the amount of times he makes the wrong decision, or he holds onto the ball, he doesn't make that pass. He cuts it back or whatever is ridiculous. He does have an end product. We saw that a few times last season. I won't say several because I'm not sure it was several. <laughs> but okay. I don't know. It's frustrating when he constantly starts. I understand why he starts because he clings to that right-hand side. Yeah, Gives us width. If you played Sancho or Garnacho or Rashford out there, they're going to drift in because they're not left-footed. Well, a little ray of sunshine would be Hoyland, who's coming who who seems to be uh you know ready to now take up full team training be with the team maybe even start you say that <laughs> it was meant to be it was all this thing oh he can't be on the bench against forest he only came into full training yesterday oh, but yeah. he's going to have a full week of training it's going to be fantastic he's going to play against arsenal you know how clubs put out all those pictures all those videos yeah he's not in any of them <laughs> And I'm starting to get a little bit worried that we've signed a £64 million 24-year-old striker with chronic back problems. Because the issue was apparently like by the way. Like a precursor to a stress fracture, which is manageable. You can deal with it. I don't have any issue if he's out until after the international break because we've got this weekend coming and then I don't have to care about football for a week and a half because I don't care about international football. <laughs> oh Jesus. Um I'm quite scared though. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of something that could be quite scary, it would have been Arsenal v Fulham, which is also, you know, a smaller London derby if you will. Um but yeah, Fulham looked a lot better than Arsenal for stretches of that game. And you know, Arsenal, with it being the team that, where we even have said last season, they just didn't have the full experience to carry it through to win the title. Now, at the start of this season, three or four match days in, slipping up already against smaller teams. I think, I mean, they got off to a horrible start after a minute when Andres Pereira, it was almost... I'm not really sure what Ramsdale was doing. So he was off of his line. It almost looked like he slipped. Pereira didn't hit the ball properly. And after a minute, they're 1-0 down. Uh, and then they did really well to, to keep Arsenal out for ages and ages and ages. Until a brain-dead challenge to give a penalty away. Which Saka put away, and then in the blink of an eye, Eddie and Ketia puts them two-one up. Calvin Bassey's red card, I think, is going to be one that happens a lot this season. Yeah. So he was booked originally for what the referee deemed as time wasting, and then the second one, he was he just it was just a body check, which is the yellow card. Anyway, but he stopped to counter attack. It was just a, a body check. Fine. So that people are going to moan about that because, oh, well, you know, oh, it, it wasn't that long that he was time wasting for, but it's the referee's discretion at the end of the day. I mean, we saw we saw it against, um, or I think we saw it in the second Bundesliga as well, where, yeah, it was a t it was a booking for time wasting or something, you know, not really a foul in you know, from from play, but, you know, something like time-wasting or talking back to the referee or something like that, and then a yellow for a foul. Yeah, so it's going to happen a lot. And then Fulham sort of woke up again, or Arsenal dropped off because they thought they were playing against 10 men, it was going to be easy. And Jao yeah, Paulinho... Oh. On Bayern Munich radar. Oh. 
uh, leveled the game. And they had a chance to win it at the end as well through Adama Traore. But as we've seen time and time and time and time again <laughs> with Adama Traore, he's all pace, no finish. Yeah. So he did really well to get away and get into the box. And then you might as well just cut his feet off at this point. He's got enough biceps to run on his ha- on his arms, doesn't he? Yeah. The amount of baby oil just slides around. <laughs> so I I don't think this is a case of Arsenal being bad. I think it's a case of almost emotional and mental hangover from going so close last season. Yeah, but you say that if you know if if that's the case, then they haven't learned anything, have they? You know, you need to learn from bottling it the way they did last season. That's that should have been the learning curve, and that's what we've been saying. That, oh, yeah, that is the I'm learning. Not, curve. I'm not suggesting they haven't learned. It's a similar thing to with Liverpool last season. You know, they went so close in four trophies last year. You know, they lost on penalties to Chelsea twice. Yeah, yeah. They lost the Premier League, and then they lost the Champions League. Yeah, you know. And then they go into next. They go into last season, mentally and emotionally, just have nothing else to give because every. We're going to talk about Arsenal fans being reactionary, but you look at how Arsenal go about it. Every single win towards the back end of last season, or when they were near the top, was celebrated like a cup, like they'd won the league. Yeah, you cannot have that many, almost cup finals. You know, managers go oh, every game now to the end of the season is, is a final. You cannot have half a season like that because emotionally yeah. you just cannot do it. It's look, too at Man- draining. Yeah. look at Man City. They'll win a game and it's okay, cool. Next one. Yeah. You know, oh, great. Well done. Three points, three goals for Haaland or, you know, great. Uh, four assists for De Bruyne. Yeah. Coach ride home and it's literally click next game. Not. Oh, we've beaten the the Bournemouth game at the Emirates last season. Let's take that for example. Yeah. Okay, they're two 0 down, or they're they're losing anyway, and Reese Nelson scores in like the ninety seventh minute to win it. Okay, fair enough. Be celebrate. That's yeah. fantastic. You you've won, but then don't drag that on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You if you're going for the title, if you're if you're a team of of that quality, you shouldn't need a ninety seventh minute winner. Against Bournemouth. Like that. I mean, City have done it in the past. Yeah, fine. Raheem Sterling did it at the Vitality five years ago now. Yeah. But then you move on. You don't have every single game from January 1st onwards is a cup final. You don't celebrate them that ferociously almost. Fans do what they want. Fans will always do what they want. And we'll yeah. talk about that in a second. But players as a squad, if you're going to go for the league, you cannot go. Bayern Munich, for example, if they're going for the title, they'll win and they'll go, okay, we'll go on to the next one. Dortmund, for example, if they win a game and they go close to going top, it will be an emotion. It will be an emotional experience. So they need to kick that. And I don't think that Mikel Arteta is a good manager, but I don't think his way of managing is going to get rid of that because he plays on the emotion of the game quite a lot. If you watch that, all or nothing. Oh, especially with the dog, the you know the team dog that's called I've, Win. I don't have anything against Winnie. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you leave still... that you leave that chocolate lab alone. Oh, I've I've got nothing against the chocolate lab in and of himself, but it's the idea that you know it it is just an example of that you know playing on the emotion to win you know it it is just that as much as you know i'd love a support dog for my you know local team but yeah but i mean they're not going to call it four nil down are they (laughs) you wouldn't get half the uh, social media clout imagine imagine there's that video of uh martinelli who comes back from you know who comes back to preseason he's like oh win when he comes back, he's like, oh, 4 0 down. <laughs> oh, that'd just be depressing. Well, should we leave Arsenal and, you know, 
we've said it, they're reactionary fan base. We've we've definitely gone into great depth about how reactionary they really are. Um, I think Arsenal Fan TV is a great example of that. Absolute but, trash. Should be burnt <laughs> to the ground. But you did mention a team who basically have that, you know, okay, reset on to the next. And incidentally, one of that team's most overlooked players is now, you know, becoming a match winner for them. And that's Rodri from Man City. One of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Actually, yeah, one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Well, I mean, because now that, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't play in a sexy position. No, I mean he's he's now even when where De Bruyne is now injured and probably will be for a longer period of time, he's now coming up with the goals and the assists. He's got, as you've pointed out, two goals and two assists in the last four matches for Man City which is nothing to be scoffed at, especially when you look at the guy is a holding midfielder. He's a he's a number six. He shouldn't be assisting or scoring per se. He should be doing the dirty work, which he does really well. But now he's doing everything even better, you've got to say. Yeah, and it's the clutch moments that he comes up with. So you look, yeah. Champions League final, end yeah. of last season, you know, Haaland's on, you've got De Bruyne, you've got Foden. And who scores the goal? It's Rodri. I mean, against Bayern as well, he scored a worldie to open up the scoring in the first leg. And, you know, when they needed him most at the weekend, he stepped up again as well. So Haaland misses a penalty, but he then puts City 1-0 up in the second half. Yeah. That then almost wakes Sheffield United up and the Blades go looking for the equaliser. They get it albeit from a mistake by Carl Walker, he sort of backheels it into no one and Sheffield United get it back. It's one all. Sheffield United are going to get a point at home against the champions, the unstoppable Man City. And then Rodri just pops up in the box and fires it into the top left-hand corner. And it's one of those ones. It's like, oh. <laughs> you don't well, yeah, but, it. <laughs> but But he's done that before. Yeah. If you think about it, he's done it a few times and you talk to any city fan yeah they'll they love him oh absolutely love 100 i'd i'd love a player like rodri in the team just because he you know as you said he he is basically now the new casemiro if you think about casemiro back in the real madrid days where he did all the dirty work behind uh tony Kroos and luka modric and let those two kind of produce their own magic if you were and then casemiro just went in two foot on the first guy that comes his way and basically shores up the whole midfield and is that first line of defense in front of the back line and that is just holy he is that guy but now i'd argue he's also you know not just the guy for the dirty work he also does you know like we said the brilliance you know oh yeah he'll fire a shot top left-hand corner from outside the box. Oh, yeah, but he does that all the time. It's not that, you know, it's not that big a deal almost. And, you know, to to move over to something, you know, that that has enraged both of us, and that's uh, Chelsea fans on Twitter having honestly tried to include Enzo Fernandez and Caicedo along with Rodri in the best midfielder of the Premier League debate. Billy, I'll just let you read out that one little stat that you that you uncovered. It might be my favourite stat of the year, to be honest. So, Rodri, in 2023, has more trophies than Enzo Fernandez has won games for Chelsea. I think that says it all in that debate. And also, on while we're on the topic of Enzo Fernandez, a good World Cup doesn't mean jack if you can't back it up. Ergo... James Rodriguez as the prime example for that one. I think that's harsh on James Rodriguez. Ooh. <laughs> but, what, but what I will say is he did score his first Chelsea goal against AFC Wimbledon last night. So oh, come on. Wow. Re- a bit of respect, please, Lewis. A bit of respect on his name. A bit of respect. So let us know what you think about Rodri. Is he the most underrated player in the Premier League? If not, who is the most underrated player in the league. But let's take a look over at the Bundesliga.
And yes, the Bundesliga has brought in some new topics and one which I didn't think I was going to have to talk about two match days in. And that's Borussia Dortmund with some struggles up top. I think it's always going to be difficult. And we said it last season to replace Erling Haaland. And they thought they'd done it with Sebastian Alle. Uh, unfortunately, he had that uh, he had that cancer yeah, yeah. issue. Um, he came back from that and he did fantastically well for them. Missed penalty in the last game of last season, probably cost them the league, but we won't dwell on that yeah. too much. He's also going to be missing for the African Cup of Nations at the start of next year. And the Ivory Coast tend to go quite far in that. So he could be out yeah. for possibly the whole month, if not five weeks. Um, that's a big loss as well it's a big loss but it happens you know this isn't a new thing that they've introduced clubs will know this when they sign players you know United will have known this when they signed Onana actually no maybe not because he wasn't playing for Cameroon but <laughs> he'd fallen out with, uh, with the coach but clubs know this the bigger issue is they've scored two goals in two games uh, yeah and I mean the goal that they did concede against Bochum Questions to be asked of Kobe, um, but also just the fact that it seemed so desolate going forward. Like, you know, w watching that game, I was thinking it's one, arguably it's a small derby because Bochum also in the Ruhr area, um, it's basically after Schalke, it's probably the, the closest Dortmund are going to get to the to a Revier Derby. So it's not even fittingly named the small Revier Derby. But Aside from that, it was just the fact that Bochum seemed to want every second ball more. And it was Dortmund just, they were a second too late with, with everything. Kobe then also managed to get some really good saves in, you know, deflected shots and whatnot. He was probably one of Dortmund's best players on the day. Um, if you take away, you know, the goal conceded, which I think arguably he could have saved. Um, but it, it just looked so... Like there, there seemed to be no creativity at the, at the top, and we thought, you know, now Haleas had his six months to recuperate, and you know, the last six months he was going to take to just get back into the swing of things of professional football. And we were actually both surprised at the fact that he scored as many goals as he did and was as important for Dortmund's last minute charge to the title as he was. Um, and now he's kind of dropped off from from that form. And, you know, maybe it's, you know, a delayed reaction to the the amount of time that's elapsed since his uh, since his cancer treatment. Maybe, you know, now his body's only just catching up. So I wouldn't want to be too harsh on him. But if you don't have options up top other than Halea and, you know, Donia Malin, let's face it, he's more of a winger, even though he does produce goals. He Again, he scored the only two goals that Dortmund would have had. Um, it's not that surprising that striking options are being discussed um, as far as deadline day moves are concerned. No, we'll talk about one that's, well, it's happening now. Yeah. But you have one of the highest rated young strikers in European football in Yusufa Makoko. Yeah. Give him some game time. What a, what a wild out there idea that is. Yeah, but the thing is, Mukoku has shown that he, sadly, doesn't produce as much. Like that, That's why Halea even came in, arguably, at the start of the last, um, no, uh, at, the st at the start of the second half of the season, was because Mukoku wasn't performing as much. He did have, he does have his moments, no, no doubt about it, but he is still a young, young player. And you know, yes, give him give him the option, but you do need some sort of option if he doesn't produce because you can't have both of your striking options not producing. And that's why I can understand why they're going for a move or they're they're pushing for a move for another striker. Okay, but you've also got Karim Adiemi. Who isn't really a striker though. He's more of a winger. He was a striker at Salzburg though, wasn't he? Yeah, but 
you know, if if we're being honest, the striking profile that Dortmund want is a big guy, just like Bayern. You know, just just like Sadio Mane wasn't going to wasn't going to replace Robert Lewandowski. Karim Adeyemi is not going to produce as a striker the same amount of goals as you know, classic number nine will at Dortmund. It's the same deal. That's True. not his position. True. So let's talk about the guy that is coming in. Fifteen million euros for Nicholas Fulkrug. Joint it's top scorer not, in the league last season. It's not that much money if you think about it. I mean, Bayern would have probably had to pay 25 if they wanted him and hadn't gotten Harry Kane. So, look, okay, goals are an issue, but another winger, possibly a right back. I was about to say with the Thomas Munier uh, situation. If you've got 15 million euros knocking about, Form changes. They've got a lot more than 15 million euros knocking about. Do you remember how much uh, Bellingham oh, brought in? Yeah. Come on. Eight, 88 million pounds. Uh, exactly. 103 million euros they've got uh, flying around. And this is, you know, again, the topic that I keep hyping on about, but it's just, it just is uh, still an issue. It's that Dortmund, they don't take the money and just say, you know, we're going to knock out 50 million for a solid player. Do what Leipzig did. Leipzig took the money that they got from Nkunku and Soboshroy, which was, you know, I think combined 130 or 140 million euros. And they spunked 43 million on Openda, who's now incidentally scored two goals for them already in the first two matches that he's played. And Openda's not, it's not like Openda was, you know, a player who everyone already knew was going to be amazing. You know, he, he performed in Liga for, for loss, but not, much more, you know, Liga is still Liga. So, you know, it wasn't a given that he would perform, but Leipzig took a risk and, you know, they invested the money in him. And Dortmund just don't do it. And it baffles me why. Like, it's, it's just, you can't honestly be that tight for money that you can't invest more than 15 million of that money that you got for Bellingham. I know they invested 30 million in Mecha and uh 20 million in in Zabitza. but it's those kinds of buys that just don't make sense to me either we already criticized them for that and we'll probably we'll get to them more in depth when we do our transfer episode um or our transfer roundup after deadline day um but it's just transfers like that which for me it's just uh it it doesn't really scream we want to shore up what we've lost it's more of Let's take the money and invest into small in smaller players so we have some more squad depth and we don't need to replace the big players. And that just, in my opinion, it's not going to get them anywhere. And I think, Billy, you had a very good prediction of where Dortmund would end up. I, I genuinely think they'll finish fourth because it will be, in no particular order, the top three will be Bayern, Leipzig and Leverkusen. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But then I can't I can't think of anyone that's gonna snatch that unless Union have another fantastic season again. Yeah, but I mean with Union, you have to look at the fact that you know they, they're going to be having three full competitions this season and Champions League is another step up from Europa League. So it's also one of those things of a meteoric rise might catch up to them. I but want, yeah. I want Union Berlin in United's group more than I want oxygen to breathe right now. <laughs> Would you make the away trip to Berlin? Too bloody right, I would, because they're playing in the Olympic Stadium. I mean, sadly, it's not the Stadion the Eidenfelsarei, but still. Yeah, it's not. It's not the. It's not the. It's not football heritage in that. No, sense. but it's fucking hilarious because that is like Liverpool getting relegated and Everton playing Champions League games at Anfield. Yeah, but let's leave Dortmund. Let's talk about a. Promoted team that I think most people are going to say are going to go straight back down. Uh, you, you say that, but there has been a lot of talk in Germany about the fact that, you know, don't sleep on Heidenheim. They they could very well uh, surprise everyone because they did play very well in the second Bundesliga. My answer to that is I don't think that that's going to be enough because, as you said, they... 
should have arguably been up, arguably been up 3-0 because they missed a penalty in the 16th minute. But they go ahead then, you know, Yannick does best who missed the penalty, still managed to get on the score sheet. Um, 26th minute, puts away 1-0, then ends up assisting in the 58th for Marvin Pielinger to put them up 2-0. And it looks so good up until about the 70th minute or 75th minute, sorry. And then it kind of all just goes to pieces. Because, I'm sorry, if you're Hoffenheim, you score in the 77th minute, in the 80th minute, and then in the 90th plus, I think it was two or three, Kramaric gets a penalty. It's just gone all horribly wrong for Heidenheim. And I think it was even Yannikas Besu who, who scored, who then in the post-match interview said, you know, this is the Bundesliga. If you only play well for 75 minutes, you're going to get hurt. And that's exactly what is, what's happened. So I was just thinking that like, Kramaric is another player that I would not have put Dortmund <clears throat> past going for. Oh, definitely not. So I, I, you make some really good points. And yeah, if you're not, you can't play for 75 minutes and then give up. Well, I'm not that I'm not suggesting they give up, but it takes more than 75 minutes. You need full concentration and, for the full nine years. Yeah. yeah, I think a lot of people are saying, oh, but they could be like Union. I think Union are an exception because every single year they've gotten better. That doesn't happen very often. I was about to say, and I think Union also made a very, very, or the very smart decision of getting in someone like Neven Subotic, who has a breadth of Bundesliga experience, and they put him into that back line in the first season. Everyone was like, why is Subotic going to Union? That makes no sense. And then everyone really saw why. Because the project that he signed up for, he definitely, he did his job. Because what he was there for was to make sure that the younger players and the inexperienced players knew what they were getting themselves into. And I think that's very, very big. And if you take a look at the transfers that Heidenheim have made, obviously, you know, Marvin Pielinger, who who scored the second goal, he came from Schalke, but he's 23 years old. Um, didn't have all too many games for Schalke last season. You've got it, Tim Siersleben from Wolfsburg, who was also a fringe player at Wolfsburg, and then the rest of the team, or the rest of the uh, of the signings this summer. Three of them have all been from their own under 19 squad. Um, you've got. Erin Dingchi, who came from Bremen, 21 years old, also a fringe player there. You've got Traoré um, coming from Osnabrück in the second Bundesliga for on, on a free. Dovedan coming from uh, Austria Wien from the Austrian Bundesliga, also on a free. And then Gimba from Regensburg, uh, who are now playing in the third Bundesliga. That isn't exactly screaming Bundesliga experience, if you ask me. No, and that's why well, that's why they will struggle. I'm not suggesting it's going to be a, a free six points for everyone. There will be some upsets. They will get some points. They will get some wins. I was about to say they've shown that they can do it to a certain extent. I mean, I was say, they, they, minutes. they can yeah. do it. They can lead Hoffenheim two 0 until the 75th minute. It's just having. Like, say, if you had that Nevan Subotic type to bring off the bench or, you know, someone just to have the experience of seeing games out. Yeah. Will they get it before the window closes? Probably not, but... There have been some upsets on deadline day as well, so we can't sleep on them. I think one last thing before we uh, leave, and that is, I mean, I've got to mention it. Harry Kane is only the third player in Bayern's history to score three goals in his first two games. And Robert Lewandowski isn't one of the other three. Oh, mental. He's going to break his goal-scoring record. Oh. But that's not really a shock, is it? Let's be honest. No. I mean... No, no one's like, oh my God, I didn't expect Harry Kane to score goals. No, definitely not. But... You have to say that he is probably one of the best 
or he was just the best option in that sense, because I guarantee you a Vlahovic wouldn't have done the same. Um, and Ossiman, maybe, but also I wouldn't have thought guaranteed because he still is young enough to not be able to completely, you know, make a move and not have it affect his his playing ability or affect the time that he needs to, you know, basically come to grips with a new league, a new environment. But Harry Kane, he's come to grips with a new league and a new environment, you know, basically seamlessly. And just, just a quote for all you Premier League fans out there. Harry Kane did say after the first match, he was surprised by the pace of the league and the atmosphere and said it was basically like a European cup night on a normal league match day. I think enough has been said. Well, before we go, uh, it is now a done deal. Nicholas Fulkrug will join Borussia Dortmund. Oh, we love we love a little bit of breaking news to end the to end the episode. We do indeed. Uh, contract until 2026. Transfer fee 15 million euros. So 16 goals last season. He's now joining Dortmund where he'll probably get I don't know, nine. I mean, I'm happy for him because he's uh, made the big money move or the move to a big club. And I think, you know, with the way his career is going, he deserves to at least, you know, play in Europe. And, you know, now he's played for the national team. He deserves that that type of caliber of team. But for me, I feel like it's going to be a big job for Edin Terzic to basically moderate having Sebastian Alea and Niklas Füllkrug, who are both very similar players now vying for the same position, and then also make sure that, you know, a Yusuf Omukoku doesn't completely fall off the end of the train in terms of his development. That's going to be a big job for Terzic. Yeah, it'll be a test to see whether he's um, up to it. But we'll have one more stat before we wrap up. Uh, so Niklas Füllkrug scored seven times last season in the Bundesliga to make it 1-0. Uh, in Bundesliga history, only Ailton and Rudy Voller have managed more in one season. So, Big stats there as well. Exactly. But I think that's probably a good place to leave it for this week. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to now. Our handle is 50plus1sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One football show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game. <laughs>